This series of Friday's Child is brought to you in association with The Healthy Home. I don't know about you, but my desire to nest and organise my home has only increased since becoming a parent. I am obsessed with making sure my home is clean and hygienic for my little one, but there are certain germs and nasties that simply cannot be seen by the naked eye. Well, this is where the wonderful team at The Healthy Home come in. The Healthy Home is the leading company in the Middle East specialised in advanced, eco-friendly sanitisation technologies, home services and products. Their renowned team have been the expert leaders in the home services industry since 2013, so they really know what they're doing. As we head towards the end of the year, now is the perfect time to get the Healthy Home team in to make sure your home is free of impurities that cannot be removed by regular cleaning methods. And if not managed properly, germs, bacteria and viruses can be spread across your home through your AC. Poor indoor air quality can trigger allergies, asthma, eczema, morning fatigue, itchy eyes and even bed bugs. So protect your family and have peace of mind that your home is not only clean, but safe. Even this time of year, living in the Middle East involves constantly blasting your AC. And if you're anything like me, you have a husband who loves to have the temperature on 19, regardless of the season. I recently had the Healthy Home team pay us a visit to clean all our AC units and ducts, which is something I've been meaning to do for years. Did you know that AC systems can provide the perfect breeding environment for a number of contaminants such as dust, mold and bacteria? These spread around your indoor space, contributing to common health allergy, respiratory and fatigue issues. Well, I am so happy to report that our AC units are now sparkling clean. And I know this as the team kindly took some awesome before and after photos to show me the huge difference. In addition to their wonderful pure air treatment, the Healthy Home provide dry and chemical-free mattress and furniture deep cleaning along with sanitization to help you breathe better, sleep better and improve your overall energy levels whilst keeping your indoor air environment clean. Now how good does that sound? All the Healthy Home treatments are chemical-free and eco-friendly so they're 100% safe for infants and children. If you'd like to find out more about The Healthy Home Services, just visit their website www.thehealthyhome.me or check out their Instagram page, both of which are linked in the show notes of this episode. Welcome to Friday's Child, the podcast on a mission to educate, empower and support you on your parenting journey. I'm your host, Peter, a British expat who's been living in Dubai for 10 years and first-time mama to my gorgeous little girl, Mavia. Each episode, I'll be speaking with a different incredible guest from childbirth educators, parenting coaches, infant sleep specialists, weaning experts, entrepreneurs and more, and we'll be discussing all areas of parenting and beyond. And I can assure you, no topic is off-limit. So, let's get into it. My guest today is Marianne Tafani. Marianne is a pre and postnatal Pilates instructor, the founder of Core Connect, and proud mama of two. I absolutely loved this chat with Marianne, and I'm so grateful to her for opening up about her personal birth trauma and for sharing so much during our conversation. So, without further ado, here's the wonderful Marianne. Marianne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I am really excited to talk to you today because 
the topic we're going to be chatting about is not something I am very knowledgeable about or something I've really spoken about on the podcast before. So I'm really, really excited to delve into this. Um, so can you start by telling us a little bit about your background and your journey to creating the Core Connect method? And I know you've told me already before we hit record that you don't like telling your whole story because it's 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 such a there's no real uh, clear beginning for you because it's such a kind of full circle but um take us back as far as you'd like <laughs> you shouldn't say that <laughs> we'll still be here <laughs> in an hour well um so i guess you know i was a gymnast from a very young age and i was part of a a sports team and we trained about 20 to 30 hours a week at as young an age as eight or nine um, but we didn't have all the physios we, we I'm from a small town in the south of France so we were good we had good teams but we didn't have the support that you may need when you push your physiology that way and um, and I guess I got injured really early on and that's how what led me to to find out about Pilates when I was a student in London in 2008. That's that was a long time ago. <laughs> um, and so by then I was in political and economic school, so I was I had chosen a different path. But um, and I went on to work in health and public policy for a while. I, I worked in the French Parliament. But then when we moved here, I knew I couldn't work in the same field. And I was hungry for something else. And I did my training and my courses in Pilates just because I enjoyed it. And it had really helped me on so many levels, uh, physical, but also psychological. And, and it just worked, you know, it just the, the lifestyle, the, the, the purpose, the sense of purpose, the creativity, it all clicked for me. It was a mix of research, of service, of leadership to some extent, um, now that I've you know, become a specialist in my field. Um, but yeah, I guess that's how it all happened. And then I got pregnant quite quickly um, after my career changed. And I thought it was going to be the end of my career. I was like, oh, this was finally working. I was getting clients and I'm pregnant. And back then, no one was pregnant in Dubai, really. Now everyone is. But um, and, and it's just, I don't know, it just uh, a lot happened with my first birth. The first birth was extremely traumatic, poorly handled. Um, and I had to really find my way out of, of uh, many injuries um, in the pelvic area, in my pelvic floor. And, and uh, it took me, I tried so many people. I, I, tried, I tried many physios, gynecologists, and um, I found really good people, but it took me a while. And so I had to explore in the process and I started helping other women as I helped myself. Uh, with abdominal separation, but also more severe pelvic floor issues. Um, and I guess that's how I became passionate about women's health, you know, so the political and the physical kind of merged, mm. also the emotional support. So I hope that gives you a bit of a, an intro, but I, that's how I came to do what I do. Thank you for that. And I'm really interested about your first birth. So Obviously, you have you have knowledge in you know our bodies and and ha what happens when you give birth. But were you prepared for what could potentially happen to you physically after a traumatic birth? Absolutely not. And also, I was I thought I was informed. You know, I was talking to a friend who was pregnant 
um, at the same time as I was and was such a good friend because we did all the same courses, you know, we did hypnobirthing. We, we were evolving in the same circles and she had an empowering birth and I didn't, she had a very different doctor as well. But I, I, we were saying we're so privileged because we have access to these courses. And despite that privilege, we still in the 21st century are treated the way I was treated. That's absolutely insane. It's, uh, it, and you know what happened to me was, I don't know if you've uh, heard me on, um, I talked to Noor Tahini, you know, on uh, goodness. Yes. And I, I, I talked about yeah, I love her first. podcast. Yeah, she, she's delightful. <laughs> and, uh, and so I told her my story and, 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 and I was just trying to summarize it and to say that, you know, sometimes you really want a natural birth and some people take advantage of that. Um, so you've got very interventionist kind of uh, medical mm. professionals, and then you've got the extreme opposite who who end up actually doing a lot of interventions. My, my first birth was extremely interventional. I don't know if that makes sense, but there were a lot of there were a lot of instruments used and uh, and uh, it was absolutely hectic and barbaric and it was unnecessary. You know, it was just that I was poorly informed about the risks of instrumental procedures because it was like no C-section, no C-section. But sometimes you don't realize that I'm not a big fan of C-sections, but they're safer than other procedures. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something I am very passionate about because it shouldn't be down to us as women to have to go out and search for this information. Why are we not, why are we not taught this from a suitable, suitable age? Why do we just watch things on TV and movies and, that's sort of where we get our, we start to form our ideas about what birth is and what it looks like. And all that information is out there, but it's like we have to go and, and search for it. And some people don't even realize that that's something that they should do that can help them. They just think, oh, well, you know, I've got this doctor. They're telling me that this will happen and I trust my doctor and, and that's that. And it really makes me so sad because so many times people agree with you. with these awful situations and it is barbaric. No, I agree. And, um, you know, the other day I, I was properly triggered. I mean, I've done a lot of birth trauma processing. I've, I've done all sorts of things, EMDR. I've had a restorative birth with my second. I've, I've really worked hard, you know, to put this behind me and to keep the passion, not the anger. You know, mm. so I've kept the passion to help other women and to make sure that nothing happened to them. But I really wanted to shed, you know, mm. the anger. There are two things that trigger me. When women blame women and when people say this, the doctor I had is a good doctor, this really still triggers me. I've done everything I could. It's, it's just, you know. Yeah. Uh, but the first one, a few weeks ago, I was on, a, on an account um, that I was supporting until then and she posted something saying, a quote saying that, um, basic, basically blaming women. If you had a bad birth, it's your fault, basically. It's because you didn't search the knowledge. It's because you didn't do this or that. It's, so I, I actually, I got a bit, you know, like I just mm. said, respectfully, I disagree. Um, you know, sometimes you think you have all the knowledge, but some people just don't inform you. People, your primary care provider, you may, you may put all your trust in them in the same way that a child who's learning from his or, you know, his parents or her parents, 
think, you know, oh, this is a figure of authority. They know better than I do. I'll yeah. trust what they're saying, you know, and it, it's normal to have that trust, to put that trust in your provider because ultimately they can save yours and your child's life. Yeah. Right. So I don't think it's a bad thing to want to trust your doctor. I think it's great. It's the way it should be. But and when I said, you know, this is like telling, it was a bit of a false metaphor, but I, I, told, I, I commented that it was, you know, if you've been abused sexually, which to some extent is, is you know, um, it's in a similar area, let's say. And if you've been abused sexually uh, and people tell you you were wearing a mini skirt, you know, it's just, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. It's like you don't blame the victim. It doesn't mean that. Uh, you want to stay in that victimizing stat status, but you still shouldn't blame women. So I got a bit triggered and she told me, oh, it's like you were coming into a full, a full room of predators if you go to a hospital to have a birth. And I was like, in the UAE, we don't have a choice. And, you know, hospitals yeah, home birth life. is illegal. <laughs> it's just, you know, the lack of empathy and the fact that women contribute to it, you know, by yeah. lacking empathy. It's incredible. It's awful. And also, I think it's really dangerous to be putting things out there like that. I think social media is so fantastic. And there are so many amazing people doing such amazing things. But it's a bit of a double edged sword, because then you also have content like this, which can be extremely triggering. And it's also what's traumatic to one person might not be traumatic to another person. And you can be as prepared as you think, but you don't know how your birth is going to pan out. You don't know oh, what's going to happen. And you've never, especially with your first, you've never been in this doctor's hands before. You don't know what they're like actually on the day, on the job. So you, you don't know if they will come. The you don't know if they're going the to make it. So it's, you have to be so careful when you're talking about birth. And even with this podcast, I'm always really careful because you don't know who might be listening and what might trigger them and, it's such a personal experience and you know what? it's so like, different for everybody as well. Very true. And um, I think sometimes things are objectively barbaric and sometimes the lack of support is enough to trigger a traumatic um, experience. That's for sure. Mm. But at least we can't help with perceptions. We can't help, but we should avoid the objectively. Barbaric. Oh yeah, the things where you're um, like, okay, no, that is, that is definitely wrong. Like that is the wrong practice. That is not how a woman should be treated in birth. Yeah, there are things that are definitely objectively wrong. You know, I've I've actually listened to another podcast uh, about about birth and mattresses and. Uh, and the, the, the expert was saying, if what was done to you could have been considered abuse in a prison setup, then if, if this would have been considered a human rights violation in a prison, mm. then you know something went wrong. Then it can't just be done to your emotions. It's not just, it is objectively yeah. <laughs> wrong to treat women this way. So if you're attached against your will, if you're, if people do like for myself procedures on you when you're not numb, if you're, it's just not okay. And it's not okay to, to tell women, oh, don't victimize yourself. Well, it's okay. I'm not a victim. I'm very happy about my journey now, but it's not normal. I don't want anyone else to go through things like that, to have their entry into motherhood, to be this affected. Mm. It affects everything, right? 
Oh. Whose right is it to tell any other woman or person how they should feel about something they've been through? It's it's yeah. it's madness. And it whether it's objectively wrong or not, if that's how you felt, that's how yeah. you felt. You know, and it's and it's almost sort of these types of people on social media are, are so the other way. They're so judgmental of any intervention. Well, I'm sorry, intervention is there. Thank God we have intervention because it saves lives. And, you know, if you choose to have an elective C-section and that's a positive experience for you, fantastic. You know, thank God we have these options. Um, Trust me, I've seen so many women because I treat so many, I see yeah. so many women. Uh, there sometimes an elective C is the best thing that could have happened to that woman. Of course, it's not ideal from a, a physiological mm. point of view. It's not ideal in terms of microbiome. But, you know, at the end of the day, if your mom is in a, it's highly traumatized the way I was for my first son, the baby it's, uh, himself can be highly traumatized because I don't think being extracted this way into the world is a nice, is a nice mm. way of you know, it's beginning your, your life, you know, I think it should be smoother. It, it, it's, it's not going to help your gut. Yeah. <laughs> I always say I like it. And also some women feel prepared, some women don't. Um, I always have a bit of sadness for some, the, the clients of mine who I know can do it, but are so scared because of all the things that have happened to other women like myself yeah. and, and who think themselves less capable and I know it's a spiritual experience. I'm sure you feel, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I actually don't know what your birth experience is like, but was like, but it, I, we can all agree that it's a transcendental experience and that it's something that is worth living. But if the woman feels ready for it, if the woman is not, then who is anyone to say this was not the birth she should have had for sure? Yeah, I am just a big, big advocate of, positive birth and whatever that looks like for you because yeah. the birth actually is just a day hopefully maximum and yeah. then it's over then the real work begins and that's when you need to really be as strong mentally as possible so uh, that's what I'm really passionate about is helping women get to that place and whatever that yeah, looks like in birth whatever if you want whale music and you want to give birth in the water or if you want a selective an elective c-section or if you want an epidural you know immediately whatever as long as you're aware of you know the the risks and um you know you're you're really informed about what you're doing then that's what i think is really important because you really need your mental health for those first three months i agree and if a birth goes wrong then your mental health and your physical health it just it's not possible to look after a child I, it was extremely hard for me to look after my first for a very long time and it's it's not fun and it's not it doesn't help bond and mm. doesn't help you feel at the end of the day we empower people right we try and that's the goal that's what we want women to feel we want them to feel empowered through their experience no matter what that experience looks like. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so let's talk I, a little I, bit. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Go on, Marianne. No, no, go ahead. I was done. Um, <laughs> no, I was just going to say, let's talk a little bit about core strength um, yeah. pre and post pregnancy, because I didn't really, I prepared mentally for my birth. 
physically, I didn't really want to start doing anything that I hadn't been doing before. So I didn't, I didn't really physically prepare and I wasn't really aware of core strength and my pelvic floor. So tell us a little bit about the importance of that. Well, the core or the pelvic, I mean, the core includes the pelvic floor, the diaphragm, the the, some muscles at the back and the transverse abdominis. So the some of the the abdominals, the the deepest layers. Mm. And um, if we think about the reason why we need to train properly, the first reason is so we regulate intra-abdominal pressure properly. Why? So we avoid ailments in the long run, right? So we have support for our back. So we've got enough strength to have a corset like the corset-like muscles work well. We also want enough elasticity in the pelvic floor to react properly when we need it to. Let's say we're jumping in the future, postpartum and talking. Uh, but, uh, but we also want it to be uh, able to release fully so we don't have hip pain and so we give birth smoothly. So there are so many reasons why we need to pay attention to that area. And there are quite a few mis- misconceptions that the very, I used to call myself a core strength guru. And then I realized, well, I'm not just promoting strength per se, because then people think they need to be tight and tense and, and the ability to surrender and let go in birth and beyond and in through motherhood is the, the, one of the most important things. So it's that balance between suppleness, elasticity mm-hmm. and, and proper strength and the third aspect is probably the, the reflexive part of the core. So your core muscles are supposed to, to hold you and to react bet- before load, before you jump, before you sneeze. Um, and the problem is with pregnancy, we lose these reflexes. So that's actually scientifically shown. There have mm. been, been many studies. The, the reflexes are gone. Some women are very lucky and get them back. But for most of us, we need a rehabilitation to retrain them. And the more you train these muscles to engage before load, before activation, uh, uh, before any sort of resistance training, and before even a sneeze or a cough, the better your chances are of regaining these reflexes properly after. So meaning you can go and go for a run at nine, 10 months postpartum and feel good about yourself and feel like, okay, things are Oh, yeah, it feels good. I can go on a trampoline with my my child and I don't feel like I've got to go to the loo. I don't mm. pee myself. So it's a, it's a, just physiologically what happens during pregnancy is problematic for the core, but we need the core to support our back, our pelvis, and for so many functions. My back um, was a real, real issue for me postpartum. So I feel like I recovered really well Um physically and I felt like I you know I could jump and I could sneeze and you know the odd accident here and there but generally I felt quite good in that area but my back particularly when I was breastfeeding it was agony I would be in floods of tears I could barely walk sometimes and I went to the doctor because in order to go to a physio I had to get a note from a doctor first so he did x-rays and he checked me out and he said there's nothing there's nothing wrong with your bones. Like everything looks okay. So I went to the physio and she also said, look, everything looks okay. You haven't pulled a muscle. There's nothing, there's nothing particularly wrong. You just have no core strength. And that's why your back is hurting. 
And I thought, really? Like, it really feels like there's something wrong. And I never went and got a second opinion. I just kind of, I don't know, I just lived with it. And now it's on and off, it hurts at certain positions. Um, and I am going to start working out again soon. It's my baby's almost a year now. Um, and so could that literally be down to the fact I have no core strength that I was really suffering with my back? Oh yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Um, you know, like I'm, I'm known for the pre and postnatal stuff, but because the, the pre and postnatal stuff has so much to do with the core and the pelvis and these are areas where that ache in so many people, um, low back pain is just crippling if 90% of the populations, I mean, someday. And it, I end up taking care of men, you know, who have severe back issues um, that were not even fixed by surgery. And with the proper amount of breathing of nerve flossing, so neurological techniques, and breathing is also core training because like i said the diaphragm is part of the of the core um we get fantastic results and, and and you know you said the occasional accident here and there the combination of the occasional accident low severe low back pain is 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 a sign that you have not recovered mm. well because you because you're not supposed to recover on your own of course if you don't make um mistakes by going for a run two seconds after giving birth yeah no i didn't do that <laughs> you're less likely to have major problems but you your life is still altered and we need to retrain the core particularly not just because we've lost strength but because like what i told you we've lost these reflexes so these muscles that naturally connect before we get let's say punched in the tummy by a toddler <laughs> Or we get, you know, if, if your husband goes, boo, <laughs> and you're not ready, you're not supposed to leave. Some people leak because mm. they have these reflexes and in everyone, it manifests differently. Yeah. Uh, regardless of the good, the positive or negative birth experience. Of course, there are more factors if there was a difficult, a challenging birth. But if you have a breeze of a birth, it doesn't mean you don't need to rehab yourself. Well, I believe my baby was back to back right up until the last minute because all my labor was in my back. And I was expecting sort of period like cramps that would just build and build and build. And that's not what it was for me. It was severe back pain and, and constant. And so I believe that that, and I am a sufferer with my back anyway. So I think that plays into it. And the fact that I haven't, and I think we're so guilty of this as women, I've kind of just put it on the back burner. I'm like, not to use a pun, but I'm like, I'll deal with that another day. Like I just need to get on with work or, and I don't actually prioritize the fact that I am in pain a lot of the time, but I just kind of get on with it. And I don't know why we do that as women. I should really be seeking help for this. I shouldn't have back pain, you know, even if it's 20% of the time. I, I think we do this because there's so much on our plate right mm -hmm. so we wait until symptoms are severe to make space for ourselves um that's something we're all guilty of sometimes it's because we don't have the support that we need particularly in this expat community yes we have nannies 
but we don't have family, we don't have siblings, we never have any support that is have friends but you know our friends don't have families and don't yeah they have their own full plate yeah exactly so it's just very hard to make time for this and i think um there's poor there's not always a knowledge that that you have to do this and and my my mission here has been even if nothing's happening and nothing seems wrong with you now i guarantee you you will end up with some symptoms of a sort it might be pain in your back. It might be pain in your hip. It might be painful sex. It might be you lose your tampon three years after her giving birth, even though everything seemed perfect. Yeah. And and it's just the problem is the longer we wait, the harder it is because because menopause is is comes in and then hormonally things change mm. and then it becomes it becomes much harder to fix a prolapse, it becomes much harder not to go in surgically, you know. Um, and the back pain, you should live with it. It's, it's just, uh, particularly if there, are, if there are simple techniques at your fingertips that can help you. Mm. Okay, Peter, you're gonna have to come into a, a I know, course. I'm gonna have to. And I remember going to the physio and it was the only physio that my insurance covered and they were only available on evenings. And at the time I was breastfeeding and I didn't have any help. And I just thought, well, this isn't gonna work. Like I can't, I could barely express. So I was like, well, I can't bring her with me. And it, it comes down to the support again. I felt like, well, oh, I'll just do this when I'm not feeding then. And then I, I just forgot about it. And And yeah, it does sometimes come down to the fact that you just feel like, well, this for me to get to this appointment, it's going to, there's so many other moving parts. I'll just do it another time. And that's not, you know, it's not, it's not a great way to to look after yourself, really. I also think that if women knew how preventive it is and, and how good it is for them in the long run and not just for them, for their family, mm. for the, you know, just for everyone they support. If they were convinced, they would probably make more time. Yeah. Uh, but I think the, the issue is, so I, I told you about my first birth, and despite that, I went to see a doctor at five weeks postpartum, the doctor who had delivered me, and I had to ask for pelvic floor rehabilitation. So I have felt how my organs had been pulled down. I have, and also being French, I know that you have to do a pelvic floor rehab because the state covers it in France mm. and they cover it wide. So they don't have to pay for hysterectomies. So the removal of the uterus 20 years down the line, mm. but that's because the state, the government is involved in paying for this. So it's a public health issue, but it's also a financial issue for the government. Yeah. In the long run, it saves them money. It saves money, it it saves trouble for the woman, and it saves money for whomever is paying. (laughs) Um, So I had to ask for that rehab, and I was not a smooth case. So can you imagine what she, someone like that tells women who had an easy birth? Yeah, and I think it's it's also become, um, it's become something that is, is a luxury you know, here for you to be able to go to a physio, you know, I couldn't afford a private physio after I had my baby. So I really did feel like, well, if I can't go to the one my insurance covering, that's kind of my options over. And it's a luxury that I just can't afford. So I'll just get on with it. And that's so wrong. Oh, yeah. Oh, trust me, we've had. So 
we've paid for 48 rehabilitation sessions for me. That was intense. And some of them were covered. And of course, after a while, it's, um, uh, it's, you know, the insurance stops covering. And some insurance doesn't even cover pelvic floor mm. rehab. Some insurance companies cover, so you have to lie and pretend you have lower back pain. In your case, it's true, but not in all cases, yeah. right? Um, it's, it's just hard. Like you said, it's an investment. And sometimes you don't have that money or you're pro you have other projects. And again, we, it boils down to not knowing how important it is and how much money it's going to save you in the future. Uh, for me, it was evident that I, I make money when I teach instructors or clients. And so obviously, if I cannot teach because yeah. I'm not doing well, um, or not feeling well, or I'm in pain for 20 minutes after standing. It's, it's, you know, there was a lot to make, but for some people who are in an office, are like, just I'll just get on with the pain, you know, and I don't have to stand, I don't have to show plank, so it's fine, you know. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's an investment in the long run. Uh, it's just hard, a hard one to make and one that you probably shouldn't have to make. Yeah, and, you know, I say this all the time, but birth is a natural trauma on the body. And so why do we not have the opportunity to rehabilitate ourselves after birth? We are just kind of, you know, you just go home and that's it. And, you know, you you seek help if you feel like it's really, you know, you're in a desperate situation. But other than that, you know, you just get on with it. It's it's mad, really, when you think about it. And there's, you're right. There's that thing that because it's natural, it shouldn't be supported. Um, well, no, it's still a trauma, even when it's not an emotional one. And and I don't know. I think I think women are still poorly supported. And I think there's also all the okay. Think about it this way: if I think the number of, I mean, the number of women who I don't have the stats in my in my head, but let's just say that at least fifty percent of women um, have some sort of stitching or episiotomy. I'm pretty sure for the first time mums, it's more, but I, I wouldn't be a hundred percent on these stats. But let's just say if half the population, half the female population in the UK had a torn rotator cuff. <laughs> Or, you know, some stitches here. We wouldn't send them to rehab? We wouldn't. Yeah. Why is it any different? Because it's intimate and because it gave life. You know, I don't know. Yeah, there's it's so much change. that needs to change. Um, yeah. Marianne, I want to learn a little bit, and I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce this, but diastasis recti is that right because I see quite so, a lot of people talking about this and in fact a few of my friends have I know have experienced this but I'm not very familiar with what it actually is so can you explain it for us yeah absolutely so uh, diastasis recti is a separation of your rectus abdominis which is uh, your six pack um, in the middle of your six pack you've got um, tendon like connective tissue so it's a little bit like a tendon. And as you, as you grow, as your baby grows, the muscles, these two parts of your pack separate. That's normal. It happens to everyone. Otherwise, the baby wouldn't have room to move. 
It also happens to men who drink too much beer. <laughs> so basically anyone who has a lot of weight or a lot of stretching in the abdominal area can have a, a, a separation. Um, generally speaking, unless you perform poor techniques during pregnancy, uh, while straining, or you were extremely underactive in your deep abdominals or with mult multiples, it comes back together, just not necessarily exactly as, as far back as it used to be mm. as, as uh, closed, but it's not pathological for most women. That being said, even when it's back to, um, to the point where we want it, which is about two centimeters, so that would be about half a finger, um, even when it's back there, it doesn't mean that your core is functional. So I always ask women not to obsess about how wide it is. We say it's pathological after 2.7 centimeters um, in the field. So that would be about a finger. Not for, mo for most women, it would be about a finger if you put it here in the middle. And in that case, uh, you really want to be extremely cautious. But even when it's smaller than that, it doesn't mean that your core is functioning well and it can reopen in the first year quite easily. So you've got to be quite cautious. And the problem is it can affect the support of your abdominals, no, sorry, of your organs. Mm -hmm. So even diathesis can be connected and correlated to incontinence. I hope that's clear. Yeah. And so, because I never got that checked out. So how would I know if, because I definitely don't have a six pack, Marianne, that's for sure. <laughs> so how do I know <laughs> if it's, it, it, do you feel, can you like actually yeah. feel like yeah, it's. You can self-check. Okay. You can self-check. Actually, when I was six months, uh, six weeks postpartum, uh, this time after my second son, Julian, I shot a small video to show how to self-check gently because some physios poke really deep and I don't quite like that. I mean, it's important to feel if there's tension or not, but um, I, I feel like the area is very intimate, so you've mm. got to be very careful with it. And it's experienced a lot of changes. So you can just lay down on your back, place the fingers in that midline and slowly walk your way down as you first with your head down and then with your head and chest lifted to test if your fingers go deep in and go wide. Mm. So, and how long it is. So these are the three aspects we want to know. Is it wide? So is it thin? Does the tissue feel very soft and like you could really put your fingers very deep? In that case, you're at risk of an umbilical hernia because the tissue could tear. Or, and is it long? Because if it's very long, then you have less support of your organs. Mm. Um, so yeah, you can self-check. It's actually not a tough thing to do. Just be gentle with yourself. Um, if you have a postnatal trainer who's decently qualified and passionate, they'll know how to check you. And the fingers will tell you the, the width, so how wide it is, but the sensation will also tell you the risk of tear. Because mm. if it's not, if there's not enough tension, that's what we want. We want tension um, in these tissues. So if it's too flabby or too tense, we're a bit cautious because too tense, it could rupture more easily. And too flabby, well, it's probably too overstretched. But and it's, 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 yeah. I was just going to say, is this why straight after you give birth, your tummy is like so, it's like, it's so squidgy and soft and. But that, 
that that's not just down to the separation to the abs it's also down to your uterus not being back to its pre pre-pregnancy shape um it's also down to skin having overstretched so it's not just the layers the, the deep abdominal mm. layer or the superficial layers of your abs it's a combination of factors but uh, and it's also the hormones and the water retention so no the, the appearances at first the first few weeks it's not necessarily about the separation now if there's an indentation in the tummy then it often indicates a, a, a separation that is what we call pathological so above 2.7 because the indentation means that there's a bit of a gap because of the organs but there's no support pulling these organs you know in and up and for women that have had a c-section is there any difference to how are you more likely to experience this or it it just is dependent on you and and you know how you're made as a person there are so many factors and i know so c-section the it, it always boils down to your core functionality. So the problem of the C-section is that it hinders the, the work of the transverse of the deep abs. Uh, if there's no scar tissue mobilization that is done, but you could actually struggle to engage your lower abs because you've got scar tissue in your pelvic floor. So it, it's not, um, there's not a, having a C is not going to make you have diastasis just in having a vaginal birth is not going to protect you from it. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, it's always about how much function do we have in these deep abs and did the scar, the scarring affect the way these muscles are working? Because sometimes whether it's a cut in your pelvic floor or a cut in your lower belly, you, your muscles don't want to work. There's that disconnect. So you're mm. saying engage and you're not feeling or you're not managing to send that motto, you know, comment. Um, so it's not just muscular and it, it, it's, so it could happen with a vaginal birth or a C-section. So there's so and many factors. There are other factors like how, how big your belly was for your frame. Um, there's even, I, I find it for me, it's, multiples for sure heavy weight gain for sure particularly on a small frame so big babies for a small frame um there's also how you trained and that could include not training at all your transverse during pregnancy and beyond but that could also include training your six-pack during pregnancy so if we see someone with a six-pack during pregnancy they are going to have a separation because the six-pack is going to be pulled on even more mm. There are a lot of factors, for sure. But <laughs> Wow, it's so fascinating. Marianne, I'm going to have to have you come back on the podcast because we're running out of time and I have so many more questions. But before we, I have a little quick fire round, but before we get to that, for anyone listening, in an ideal world, what should we be doing to help ourselves physically pre and, and post baby? So for someone like me, for example, who, you know, when I had my baby, I wasn't really in a stage of working out regularly. You know, for someone like me, what would be the ideal thing and and sort of practices to put in place to, to help me with my birth and recovery? So for you, I'm, I'm assuming 
you may want more children. So I would really make sure that, oh, maybe you don't, sorry. I don't know if I do, to be honest, but <laughs> yeah. Whether you do or not, even if you don't. That's a different but podcast topic. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm terribly sorry I made that assumption. No, that's um, okay. But the, the most important thing is for you, it's to make sure your core is functional. Everything I explained tonight. So for you, even if it's a bit, it's ideal to do it to start before four months. If you can't, it's ideal to start before a year in terms of tissue, how, how malleable they are. But we can still do loads of work after I've done it before. And we've had re- significant improvement in symptoms and in separation if you have one. But uh, it's just to start the journey when you feel ready to but and to invest in it. So in an ideal world, it's never too late. Of course, the earlier, the better, but it's never too late. Mm. Like I have women come to me, they had their kids 16 years ago. And it's okay. It's, it's so good when you're ready. I wish they've had help before, but if that's when they're ready, that's when they should do it. So I would, you, you're going to come for a postnatal course. That's what you're going to, because I have a five session course. That's the, that's my signature thingy. I'm, <laughs> and, uh, sign me up. I'm ready. I am at a stage where I'm like, okay, I need to invest in myself now because enough excuses. I need to, to, put myself you know what that's that's why i made these small courses because a it's more affordable to Mm. be in a group b most women need the same kind of rehab in the early stages or beyond even if you didn't take these steps in the early stages you need to take them at some point so that's what i would do for you i would start with a postnatal a small postnatal course to work on the core function okay listeners i will go and i will report back (laughs) I will let you know how I get on and I'll put in the show notes Marianne where people can find you on Instagram and your company um, and how people can get in touch Um, so we're just going to do a little quick fire round now Um, so your one piece of advice for first-time mums oh um, only open up on top of the pelvic floor rehab of course in the core rehab but only open up to people you know are not projecting because mm. if people project their own experience and you're vulnerable in the early days months or year or years it's, it's not going to be a great you might be triggered and you don't need that you need all the resources you can that is such a good piece of advice and no one said that so far with all the women i've interviewed and i one thing i think i did really well before my birth was i only listened and watched and consumed positive births and that was from inductions to c-sections to emergency c whatever it was but i would not listen to anything negative that doesn't mean that i wasn't informed and i didn't learn about the risks but i was so adamant i i just didn't want to go down that rabbit hole of what could happen and it was only after i had my baby that i was like whoa you know, because then I started to sort of open myself up to listening to people's um, experiences. And I was like, wow, there is so much that can happen here. But when I was pregnant, I just protected myself. I didn't want to hear it. Well, if it worked for you, I actually, I have opinions on positive birth stories presented as the ground. So we won't go there because we don't have time. But <laughs> We will more, next time though. Yeah, I was thinking more when you're, postnatal and you're vulnerable and and people are giving you tons of advice you don't need because 
about sleep, about, or for instance, if you had a difficult experience, uh, or even a positive one, you speak to people and they, they might project stuff on your case, on what happened to you. What you need is to be validated in your choices and in your experiences. That's so, yeah, open up to the right people. To people and I you think, trust. like you said, that goes with everything with sleep, eating. For that first year, there's just a constant, you know, it's like you're dropping naps and then you're weaning, and there's just so much oh, going even, on. Even, even after, my you can just get, yeah, you can just get so overwhelmed. And like you say, people, they, you know, you ask for their advice and they, they have the best intentions, but then they're projecting their experience onto you and it can be really overwhelming. So yeah, yeah, just be, be careful. Um, what's one thing nobody warned you about before becoming a mum? I think people did warn me. I just think it's until you are a mother, you don't, it's, it's impossible to fathom. It's impossible to, to really grasp, you know, what it's, you know, when people tell you, oh, you, you'll have no time. I've always been very busy. I've always had way too many projects going on. And I remember someone telling me, oh, you'll see when you have kids. And which I always find is so condescending. I don't say that to people. I try not to say that. But it, it is true that I see what she meant. She meant that your time won't be your time. That maybe your kid will have pneumonia just two, two hours before you have a big meeting. <laughs> but yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just... Uh, I don't know. I think people did warn me. I, I may not have been able to listen because I didn't know. Yeah, I think you're right. I think people try to, but you you just can't imagine it. And it's only until you're in it that you're like, oh, okay, I, I get that. But, but then it backfires. Yeah. It backfires. Because I've, I've had clients tell me, why didn't you warn me? And I'm like, if I'd warned you, you would have thought I was bitter. You would have thought I was trying to spoil the fun or you would have thought I was projecting or so this it's very hard you can talk I think again it goes it goes back to talking to people who are in your close circle whom you trust and who really have your best interest at heart that's useful but I think the, the general things people were warning me about why would I I don't know I wasn't listening yeah, I only give advice now people ask for it. And I also always caveat things with, you know, this is my circumstance and my experience. It could be very different for you. This is just how I feel about this particular, you know, area of whatever it is, weaning or so that like it's you have to be really careful with your language and the way because it is so different for everyone. And a lot of people said to me, like, oh my God, you're just never gonna sleep again. And well, that was wrong, you know. So sometimes the things that people what warn you about you? Yeah, like, you know, yeah, obviously in the early days when we have our bad nights and don't she gets, you know, she's poorly, but I'm not, I'm not this like zombie sleep deprived mom walking around like, oh, I can't cope. No, that's not my experience. And so many people tried to kind of put that on me and I did get quite nervous. It was one of the things I was most nervous about because I love sleeping and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, to caveat that also I get I'm especially in the beginning I got used to less sleep and I got used to sleeping in chunks here and there so you were you know I adapted but I think you have to be really careful of the sort of like just you wait mums like just you wait well yeah. that might not be your experience you'll have maybe challenges in other areas so yeah that's exactly what it is like everyone's going to have their challenges in some area or another and that's why you know people like one of my clients 
everyone was kept telling she told me it's okay to have two right she's ready for, for her second child it's like of course it's wonderful and she's like you're okay now i was like listen i had the worst three years two years of my life after adam was born and this has been a breeze and i have two at the moment so yeah it, it, you don't know you never know what it's going to be like and um i think staying open and preparing for support is what's most important that's what i did the second time around i guess but it's very hard to prepare to be honest even when you know it's very hard yeah some people are lucky people are not yeah it's there's what it's so much that goes into it isn't there there's so many yeah so many different things um what's your favorite thing about being a mum? the absolute utter joy you know the, the moments of joy and it's just i don't know i think of my kids and i smile and they drive me crazy my son is four year four and a half he's asking me about death and about really intense questions you know and he asks 300 questions a day and yeah oh, but the, the moment the giggles that i don't know i just love them so much <laughs> And finally, Marianne, what does motherhood mean to you in three words? Um, so unfortunately, the first word is, is not a positive one. It's exhaustion. <laughs> I'm always tired. Uh, but then there's uh, love, unconditional love, and uh, I guess surrender as well. Mm. It's just learning to, to yeah, to welcome whatever comes your way. Yeah, I um although I may not be a zombie, I mean some days I am, I do now have to go to bed at nine o'clock to be able to function the next day. So I have become that person where as soon as my baby's in bed, I eat my dinner, do whatever I need to do, and I'm in bed. And I used to be a real night owl and now I'm just I'm useless. I can't do anything in the evening. I have to just because that's it's how just, I can then function the next day. <laughs> the season. It's the season. And I think it's the smart choice not to burn yourself out. I always say I've got, you know, you've got social life, you've got your business and you've got, or, or the company you work for, and you've got your kids, right, when you're a mom. And unfortunately, it's very, very hard to be on all three fronts. And I've accepted that for a few years. If I want to keep building my business and take it where I want it to go and be a present mom, then my social life has, you know, to take a bit of a hit and it, it'll be back. I have no doubt. Yeah, I feel the same, like something has to give. And the sooner we just accept that, I think, and be kinder to ourselves, it doesn't feel so scary. You know, like you said, it's a season and, you know, that time will come back where we have more time for our friends. And and I think your your true friends get that as well. They understand, you know, they those amazing low maintenance friends that get it you know because you just you can't be at everything and you can't you know you you just don't have that capacity when you're focused on other things um so yeah I think that's such a good point Marianne thank you so much I can't wait to come and have a session with you um and I'll put like I said everything in the show notes so people know where to find you thank you so much for having me it's been brilliant <laughs> thank you big thank you once again to Marianne you can find links to Marianne's Instagram page website and her pre and postnatal courses in the show notes below 
You can also find links below to the Friday's Child social media accounts, along with information on our monthly Meaningful Mama Mornings, which take place every month here in Dubai. With these Mama Mornings, we are so thrilled to be able to bring you a different expert guest in person each month from infant sleep consultants, weaning experts, parenting coaches, and so much more. So I really hope to see you at one of our events in the near future. And finally, I would be so grateful if you could show some love and please rate, review, and subscribe to Friday's Child the Podcast to help us reach more wonderful mamas. Until next time, thank you for listening.